In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed, Julia. And uh, would you give a warm welcome to David as he comes up to speak? Uh, now, um, before David speaks, I'm just going to ask him a few quick questions. But um, uh, David came and spoke here at HTC a, a pretty much about a year ago. Mm -hmm. um, just out of interest, how many people heard him speak about a year ago? Just so I can sort of work it out. About half of you. Okay, fantastic. David, um, you, you came a year ago. You've come back a year <laughs> later. Um, thank you for doing that. Um, what made you be willing to come back and speak here again? Well, I think it would have to be your Australian wife, Jago. <laughs> No, but uh, thank you so much. Yeah, she, <laughs> is the, she is the better one in the she's past. The so, yeah. She's the Melbourne to my Sydney. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but I actually, in more serious, uh, in a more serious way, I think the beautiful combination here of deep theology um, and biblical theology with charismatic spirituality, I think, has been a really important part of my own journey, which yeah, I will share more of in in the talk and the sermon, but just that, yeah, word and spirit coming together, um, priority that you carry as a church, I just, I absolutely love that. Um, it, it, that's been a big value in my life. And then also the fact that in the same line as that thinking, William Wilberforce, you know, came to this church and was inspired to abolish slavery here precisely because of his belief in scripture um, and I think that's another witness that we don't hear about enough that it was through scripture that he actually was inspired here at this church. And he's such a hero to me in the faith. So yeah, all of those reasons. Great reasons. Uh, my wife and William Wilberforce, a powerful combination, <laughs> uh, which is fantastic. Uh, now, David, um, those uh, who, uh, who have heard you a year ago would have heard mm. something of your story. Um, uh, but some people won't. I keep on forgetting to bring it up. But David's written an amazing book. Um, called A War of Loves. I, I'd really encourage you to get it uh, if you haven't uh, read this. It is a fantastic book. It's an amazing story of your life uh, and more than that, but besides, it's an amazingly well-written book as well. It's an incredible book. I've actually, I've, it's so amazing to read it. But just for those people that haven't read it who didn't hear you a, a year ago, just in a, in a couple of minutes, as it were, can you share oh. something of how you came to faith in Jesus and the difference that that sort of has made in your life? Yes, so I wrote this book to help a totally atheist gay person understand a Christian with more biblical convictions and for a Christian with biblical convictions to understand an atheist gay person. Because these are the kind of two experiences that I have in myself, starting out at a young age um, in an agnostic atheist home um, and finding myself unfulfilled with the secular world's view of love and just not finding fulfillment there and finding that to be empty uh, and then my mother actually becoming a Christian and me hating her for it because I thought she was rejecting me, her gay son, and choosing this like figment of her imagination <laughs> over me, <laughs> a real person. <laughs> Why would you do that, you know? And I think that false dilemma was there that I kind of put on her, but equally understandable in some ways for me to feel that. And then this fascinating thing happened where I, was at a Christmas, the Christmas lunch table with my uncle, and we had a debate about the existence of God. And um, 
he had a prophetic word that I would be saved in three months' time. And if you saw me at that lunch table, you would never have thought that I would become a Christian. <laughs> like, the least, the least likely. And so he saw this reality in the spirit, and then exactly three months later, I was in a pub in the gay quarter of Sydney, and I uh, was baptized with the Holy Spirit and met Jesus through this amazing um, young filmmaker who told me about the love of God, and my life's never been the same. And that love has spurred me on now to live a quite radical life where I've kind of laid down um, my sexuality, my identity uh, for Jesus and said, you know, I'm gonna be celibate. Um, and that's quite controversial, I suppose. <laughs> But actually, I've, I've discovered this deeper wisdom of what human flourishing looks like, that it isn't just going with every desire you have, but learning to lay down your life, carry your cross. And I actually experienced the most incredible joy in that, and I'm hoping to share how that works, because I think if I was in the room <laughs> as that young atheist gay person, I would not understand that. But I really am passionate about people understanding that deeper wisdom of the cross now and so I go around the world sharing that you know and seeing just the most incredible people particularly from the lgbtqi plus community but all people coming to know the love of god and that sending them on radical you know pathways of discipleship in all sorts of areas so i'm i love that committed to that and you know the other thing that's happened to me is god has given me a real academic gift and i'm kind of in love with Saint Augustine, <laughs> and have started a project at Oxford University on his works, getting Catholics, Orthodox, Evangelicals, everyone in the church together to look at Augustine again, and just finding a lot of the spirit really moving in the university context with that. Amazing, thank mm. you for sharing that so much. Let me just ask one final question. Uh, HTC, as most of you will know, as you all know, is part of the Church of England. Uh, there's still plenty of discussion in the Church of England about you know, what does love for LGBTQI plus people look like? Mm -hmm. uh, the sort of whole question of sexual ethics, uh, whether marriage is just between a man and a woman and that's the sort of exclusive place yeah. uh, for sexual intimacy, all that kind of debate. Lots of people have said lots of things. The debate continues to go on. You can't uh, say everything, but if you had sort of one minute just to speak into that <laughs> huge topic where people are saying so much, is there any sort of one thing that you might say? Yeah, I think I would say that we live in a culture that doesn't have much theological patience and that it takes a long time to really understand what love is. And your first initial instincts of what love is actually often quite wrong. And we need to come and die to ourselves. There's no other way to actually learn what love looks like. If you're to love God or love others, you have to learn to die to yourself. And I think in our culture, we're missing that message. And we're dangerously close to losing it in the Church of England, where basically we'll become like the culture and say, do whatever you like. And yet, we don't know how to guide people. We have no wisdom. We're just saying everything goes. And I think there's something really special and important about marriage between a man and a woman as a kind of delineating line, not to oppress LGBTQI plus people, but to respect God's created order and and actually, I think God has a really special plan for people who don't easily relate to that created order and a beautiful glory that he wants to reveal. So I think I would love to see the Church of England embrace that rather than just compromise the Bible and just act as if that's not really there. Um, 
So yeah, I'm really passionate. I think this is such an important thing. It's actually not just one social issue. It's like really important for Christian faith. And it's not about homophobia necessarily, although I think those texts have been used homophobically and I condemn that just as strongly. So yeah, that's, that's what I would say. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Mm. Um, I guess that sort of feeds into what you're speaking about um, tonight. You're speaking, uh, we're doing this How on Earth sermon series, and uh, tonight you're speaking on how to flourish mm -hmm. uh, when Christianity seems so restrictive, and to many people uh, in the world, many of us here as well may feel actually it feels restrictive. So uh, you're going to speak into that. I'm going to pray for you, and Great. then I'm going to hand over to you. So Amazing. let's pray for him, shall we? Uh, let's pray for David uh, before he speaks. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for David. Uh, thank you for your grace uh, showered upon him. Thank you for the ways that you have been at work in him and through him. And we pray now, Lord, that you would fill him uh, with your spirit and that you might fill each one of us uh, with your spirit too. And Lord, we pray that as uh, David speaks, as he uh, unpacks your word and, and speaks to us, we pray, Holy Spirit, uh, that you might be at work in each one of us, uh, that you would be bringing us comfort and challenges each one of us needs it. Uh, Lord, please um, be at work amongst us tonight, we pray. And we pray with such thanks for David. We pray that you'd use him now as he speaks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Thank Jago. You. Oh, it's such an, such an honor and privilege to just open up um, one of the really beautiful aspects of who Jesus is. I'm just really in love with Jesus. <laughs> when I, Jesus is mentioned, sometimes I just start to cry. <laughs> um, so I just, I wanted to start this sermon um, first with the title. I called it Love's Ascent, How to Flourish When Christianity Seems so restrictive. Why did I call it love's ascent? Not ascending to something, but ascending, ascent. Because in the Bible, we find this fascinating theme that recurs over and over and over again in the lives of the saints, in the prophets, in the kings, in the priests, and particularly in the female characters of the Bible, who are kind of my favorite, to be honest. Um, and they're always finding themselves in this really dark, deep kind of, like this, this despair. And that, like I think of Hannah, or I think of Eve in the fall, or I think of Mary giving birth to a child in the middle of a genocide. <laughs> and it's always like this paradox of like, in order to ascend into human flourishing, we have to somehow descend into what it's not. In our culture, we believe that the way to ascend is simply to ascend. <laughs> but what I find in Jesus is this other wisdom. It's this other path to human flourishing. And people say to me, oh, you're a celibate gay Christian, you must be the most miserable person. And what's really interesting is I'm actually really joyful. <laughs> what gets me down is all the people who haven't died yet. What gets me down is all the people who haven't found a love that's worth dying for and are still clinging to their lives. In each sermon I give on Jesus Christ, I like to describe Jesus as a diamond, darling, which is so multifaceted, we can only focus on one tiny aspect of his beauty. 
And we talked about that paradox of his ugliness in the cross, yet in that ugliness, we find the most exquisite beauty. This absolutely perfect justice, a just human being like no other is put in the wrapping of ugliness. <laughs> the deepest eros and love is put in the wrapping of a celibate gay Christian. <laughs> Whatever it might look like, what we're often scorned for or hated for is the very thing that reveals this deeper love, this deeper beauty. And in our time together, I'll be focusing on the paradox of how the tree of death, the cross, the restriction of the law becomes a tree of life, fruitfulness, joy, and flourishing. I happened upon this paradox while being in a rich lecture in the examination schools of the University of Oxford on human flourishing and Christian ethics. <laughs> so posh. Then <laughs> I'm an Aussie, so I'm kind of, it's okay, I'm a bit immune. Um, <laughs> as the professor defined the term and what it meant theologically, they did not once mention the cross of Jesus or his death and the way it was the path in scripture to resurrection, to human flourishing. And as I posed a question to highlight this rather enormous lacuna in this professor's argument, they expressed disdain at the idea that our path to human flourishing would or should ever involve something like a cross. Yet within my own body, as a disciple of Jesus, something cried out, the spirit cried out that I was carrying a cross and carrying around the death of Jesus in my body. And some part of me could not accept this definition of human flourishing that seems to have invaded the church and thrown away the wood of the cross and said, that's just dead wood. Nothing good is ever coming from that wood. Let's flourish, let's be fabulous. And I'm all into being fabulous and I'm all into being glorious, but not without first the wood. Augustine describes the wood as a cross as like a raft in a wild sea and you kind of grab yourself around it and you're carried back home. And it's not us that brings us home, it's the cross. It's the wood of the cross, it's the grace of the cross that brings us home to our heavenly resting place. And I knew that this was the way through which the eternal life of God was flowing into the world, not through a perfect body which had no scars, burdens, difficulties, or suffering, or queerness. <laughs> Difference is another form. But through a life acquainted with sorrows, through the wounds of his hands and feet, the whole world was animated with glory. Such a mysterious reality was difficult to describe logically in an ethics seminar, but I knew that it was true within the gift of faith Jesus, the crucified, had given me. And this moment inspired my desire to enter academia and to begin to articulate this mysterious truth. I cannot promise to get to the bottom of such a mystery, who can, but hopefully to help you contemplate on the truth, this truth in order that you might flourish, that you might find this joy. That in order to ascend, you will learn that we must first all descend. Many years ago when I wrote a book about my journey, which we've talked about, I wrote, God's love should displace all others and occupy 
occupy the primary space in our hearts. I think if I had my pen ready again, I would probably rewrite it this way. Worshiping God as our ultimate love should displace all other idols and occupy the definitive space in our hearts. The reality is, if we have idols, it gives us a lot of power in this world. It makes life so much easier, and it looks like it's gonna promise you flourishing. But every time I have worshipped something other than God, every time I've been like Laban in the Old Testament, I'm like, love you, Jesus, and then secretly in the trash, I just pull out a little idol, and I'm like, yes, my precious, (laughs) my precious one. I get stuck in this horrific death cycle that doesn't bring me into human flourishing. And we all have that propensity, and we're all in the same boat, and no one is highly hyper-holy over the others. There's just some maybe who've said, Jesus, I'm not gonna go, and I'm gonna forsake that idol. And that's what, who I want you to be. But I wanna share a story about how I forsook my idols. I was working for one of the world's premier Christian ministries. And it was wrapped in that sheen of we're all flourishing and we're all such successful evangelists and we're seeing the world being saved and people giving large sums of money and it all looks so good, but underneath it was rotten. And there was still goodness there, like a body that had a cancer within it, but there was also a cancer. And I didn't really know there was, I was totally unaware of what was at the heart of that ministry. And in the middle of COVID-19 lockdown, being separated from my family in Australia by my own prime minister, I can't even like begin (laughs) to describe. I started to think, you know, I was on this upward trajectory as a Christian, like I'm the successful evangelist. I'm the holy revivalist. I'm ascending the mountain of the Lord with pure heart and clean hands, hallelujah. (laughs) And God's like, and he pulls the carpet from under my passionate zeal as a convert. And I find myself whacked continually in the face by the reality of human pride and sin. And that somehow, however small, I was complicit in that and I had to repent. And yet everyone around me, my community in COVID was suffering. And we, it was like being lowered into this pit of mire and death. And I just remember every day waking up going, how am I gonna survive today? How am I not going to crack? And I walked into this little Anglo-Catholic church and they celebrated Eucharist. And I thought, I don't even really agree with these people, but. I'm just drawn here because I can't really like lift my hands right now or I can't even really praise God. I just feel dead inside. And in this moment, as I took the bread in my hand and everyone had masks on and everyone was separated from each other and the thought just, I thought, God, I can't bear this. And I just took this bread and I was so desperate to know Jesus in this moment. And I felt him come and touch my hand and the scar tissue of his hand and his suffering touched the scar tissue in me. And and then this life started to flow into my heart. And many of the Catholic mystics like Catherine of Siena, the devotion of the sacred heart of Jesus, it comes from this kind of mystical experience where you get to the end of yourself 
You go down to the depths. And that's where he is most profoundly present. And you don't have to be ashamed of your suffering. You don't have to be even ashamed of the stupid pride you sometimes have in your life because God will use it to meet you in the deepest of ways. And there Jesus, the beloved husband of my soul, who I had given, tried to give everything to in my ascent, but had missed that it's downward. And so in this moment, as this life came into my heart, death came out of my heart and through my arm and into him, and he destroyed it by the power of the cross and resurrection. And he said, I have kissed you, my son. Have you been kissed in that deepest place? Have you been known at the darkest point? I want to encourage you this morning, you never have to be afraid. (laughs) What I love about getting to such a low point in my life is I'm like, it couldn't really get much worse than that. (laughs) And Jesus was there. And yes, there are forms of suffering and horror in this world that are not like that, where it doesn't feel like Jesus is present. And that's a mystery. But the other mystery is that's where we find him most profoundly. And in our generation, I wanna talk about moral therapeutic deism. (laughs) Sociologist Christian Smith from the University of Notre Dame interviewed 3,000 young people in the US. And this is kind of the alternative gospel we're now preaching that's not really about this very deep cross-based Christianity. And the first belief, if we can get it up, um, is that a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life. Two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Good people go to heaven when they die. That is the kind of thin gruel of spirituality that this generation has because the generation before it wasn't honest about its cross, didn't boast in its cross, created a form of church where everyone has to look perfect all the time and hold up this image. And I want to be an iconoclast in this particular sense. Let's smash those pretenses. Let's find the safe places where we can do that. Sometimes it's the best we can do and God has grace. But sometimes we need those safe places of community where we can say, guys, it's really hard. I need, I can't do this, I'm weak. We need to descend with each other. We need to have a culture of descent. And we need to flee this moral, therapeutic deism And when I was a young gay man, I perceived the notion of the cross as a cruel trick on our humanity to get us humans to submit to an oppressive moral system which denied our basic human loves and rights and particularly sexual or romantic love because obviously you needed that to flourish. Christianity in its best forms was restrictive or oppressive and needed to be reformed so that it became about my vision of what the good might be or is. What I didn't see was that this morally therapeutic deism 
which I had imbibed and preferred over the cross and the resurrection, led me to death and to a life restricted to my own self-worship and aggrandizement. Instead, through seeing the world and its vision of flourishing and trying to pursue that in a political career, in a writerly career, I came to a point of humility where Jesus entered my life. And I remember being in this club with a journal and I wrote the question, what is love? And the most common response was, what is love, baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> and I was like, among all the like hyper-progressive intelligentsia working for fashion brands and going to Paris, and like, we're all there, and I'm thinking people here will have such a deep philosophical grasp of reality, they'll know how to answer this question. No. <laughs> I was a bit naive. And so I was in the taxi, and this whole worldview just cracked for me. It says it's 1 Peter 5, 5 to 6, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And my prayer from this place of worship is that the Spirit of God would be sent out into London so that many people who have been looking in the places that I was searching might be touched and humbled and brought to this Messiah, this crucified one who can show them the real way to flourishing. Within the cross and the resurrection is also a beautiful philosophical synthesis I want to talk about quickly. I'm gonna go a bit intellectual now. Negative freedom refers to the number and kinds of options that lie open to you and their re relevance to your life. It is a matter of what you aren't prevented from doing, the, the doors that lie unlocked. So negative freedom's like, what can, what's my right? What can I do? I have that right, I want that, I'm gonna pursue it. Positive freedom is, these are the things I can't do if I'm to be free. And in the cross, we find this beautiful synthesis of the law and grace. The law is not a, li sorry, the law is not a license to condemn, but grace is not a license to sin. And this is the way of descent, to live in that tension. That is where I have found my deepest freedom is in the synthesis of the cross and resurrection, which brings together the philosophy of negative and positive freedom. And Paul talks about this. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. It's kind of hard to understand, isn't it? Peter also found it hard to understand. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this, keep, this I keep on doing. <laughs> now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. We still, as Christians, have this part of us that doesn't want to descend. It's called the flesh. The Greek word is sarks, and no, it's not the body. It's the sin-deadened nature in us that says, no, God, I don't want humility, I want it my way. And we can be living as fleshly Christians, and we can spray paint it with upper-middle-class spray paint, but it's still, darling, the flesh. And we still need to die to it. 
We all have our own forms of fleshliness. Wherever we come from, whatever our background, the flesh is there. And we can choose to love our neighbor in dissent and humility and love God, or choose to hold on to our life in hatred of the other. Gosh, don't we know that? In so many of the conflicts in our society, we need to die to the flesh and live in the spirit. And one of the ways I've done this recently is that while I was graduating and talking, doing this doctrine on the queerness of gay celibacy, how it's more queer than gay marriage, and it's quite spicy doc- doctorate, and the faculty is like, this is exactly what we want, you know? <laughs> and, um, it's a very academic exercise. <laughs> and, um, but I thought, I don't just want to say the word, I want to do the word. So I contacted my dear friend, who's a bishop and a quite famous Bible scholar, and he happened to be free, and he write, and I was like, this is amazing, and it was all in the space of two weeks, and God just blessed it. But this consecration I was gonna make to celibacy was a way of me like formalizing this descent, formalizing this self-death, and saying, I don't want the flesh, I want to live in the spirit. And this is what I said for my consecration. As I make this vow and recognize my life lived over 14 years in Christ, I have never had a moment where I felt I have an easy gift of celibacy. Instead, the Lord has given me a deep gift of faith, which as a gay man has been extraordinary. This gift has reinterpreted my understanding of sexuality, the body and its sacramental meaning. From this, a wellspring of desire to give God everything has sprung, which is common to all those who truly love Christ and humbly seek to obey his commands. Such faith is not about being desireless or non-romantic, but precisely the opposite. It's about falling in love, going down to die for Jesus, my beloved, and marrying him as part of his bride, the church in the spirit. This has met the wrestle with my sexuality and made it a deep gift, which I'm giving in fullest affection in the fear of God and my own deep weakness to the husband of my soul, for you today. Maybe it doesn't look like a a consecration to celibacy. Maybe it looks like a change in your marriage. Maybe it looks like a reconfiguration in your friendships. We're all called to be consecrated by the cross. And this is what it says in Ephesians 4, 7 to 9, but to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended? What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended. (sighs) Okay, you're getting this? This is the pattern of human flourishing. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Christian ethics, human life, is all about imitating this pattern of the one who goes down in order to go up. By descending in humility through grace and the love of God, we are raised up with Christ in resurrection flourishing and overcoming victory. Our culture says to ascend upwards first by loving things in and of themselves rather than loving God in them. I think that's a fundamental change. 
Our culture says to ascend upwards, first by loving things in and of themselves. Sexuality, money, power, career, rather than loving God in them. This is the great wisdom of Augustine. It's called the uti frui distinction, or the in- and, and it's about enjoying God in all the creation. This descent in humility is what really leads us to being lifted up in healthy flourishing and blessedness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus' countercultural path to flourishing is cross-shaped, transforming our lives through the grace of humility and in the joy of resurrection. Erstwhile Regis Professor of Moral and Pastoral Theology, one of my heroes, Oliver O'Donovan, he says, we are not invited to live in the created order as though there had been no cross. The resurrection body of Christ bears nail prints and the life of those who follow him means taking up the cross. The path to full participation lies through being excluded. Discipleship that involves in the suffering of exclusion from various forms of the created good, which are our rights and privilege as Adam's restored children. Christ's followers are called to bear their cross, to mortify those aspects of their own nature, which are included to compromise upon the earth, things that make us compromise on the earth. They're called to accept exclusion from the created good as the necessary price of a true and unqualified witness to it. What is Oliver O'Donovan saying here? We have to detach ourselves from our right. There are goods in our lives we think we're entitled to, but actually the way of the cross means being excluded from some of those created goods, not to be ultimately excluded, but to be more radically included in their eventual transformation. Oh, it's so beautiful. You're never actually excluded from money. Like you are, you're never actually excluded from the goods that sex points to. You're never actually excluded from the right kind of power. Those things are coming, but we have to forsake their twisted form now and find the good form now. And that's what this life of discipleship is about. As Augustine states in Confessions 4, descend that you may ascend and ascend to God. Descend that you may ascend and ascend to God, for you have fallen by ascending against him. So the fall of humanity was trying to ascend against God. Eve created her own word in the beginning and forsook God's word. She accidentally started to ascend without God, first helping her to descend so she can ascend in the right way. So God's desire is that we will ascend. It's not an anti-flourishing message, but it has to come with a descent first. Tell them this, that they may weep in the valley of tears and so draw them with you to God because it is by his spirit that you speak thus unto them if you speak burning with the fire of love. I love Augustine. There's always some fire in there. So finally, we need the fire of love to drive this descent. It's not in our own strength. It's not by even our own affections for God. It has to be this fire, this grace of the Spirit that invites us to death and lifts us into flourishing. I have a picture here of Aaron's staff that Van Gogh uh, kind of painted, and I think his life is very much, you know, if we can put that up, 
his life is very much a kind of parable of this suffering, this descent. And I love the story of Aaron's staff. I often think about it as a metaphor for this truth in the gospel, that this was a piece of dead wood, and yet God takes it, and the priestly ministry of, the, of Israel starts with this miracle of taking dead wood and making it a tree. This is a picture of the cross, of this, this hidden wisdom of true human flourishing. So what are your, what are your buds, you know? What are your blossoms? What is your fruit? Because I'm telling you, if you die, if you really die in Christ, in the cross, you are going to see an explosion of life. And so let's go to the next image um, from a church in Oxford of a famous Christian artist that I'm friends with in Oxford, and this is his depiction of the cross. Jesus hanging on a fruit tree. Jesus dies on the cross and his prophetic artistic interpretation is this is where the place from which all human flourishing and fruitfulness comes. I recently led someone to Christ in Finland at an academic conference. She'd had a, I used to be involved in New Age spirituality so we kind of saw each other and there was this synergy and she's like, you're one of those Oxford theologians, you really believe in God, right? And I was like, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, well, I've just, I had this vision, I'm basically this new age um, healer, and I do this like, movement with my body to heal people's bodies, and well, I had this vision that basically my body was cursed and it had all these like, wounds and sores on it, and, and this horrible demonic voice like, mocking me, do you think I'm crazy? And I was like, no, I, I don't. She's like, do you think Satan exists? And I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> and she's like, well, why am I seeing this stuff? Like, I'm trying to get rid of it. And actually, before I came to, at this table, at this, you know, the cafeteria at this, this, at this uni University of Helsinki, I just felt like I had this urge to throw my healing crystals into the lake. <laughs> and I was, like, I was just like, why am I, what's happening to me? I was like, you're starting to descend. You're starting to let go of your life. This is a process of repentance. And actually what it means is Jesus is after you. And guess what, you can't do it. It's something that grace is doing in you. And six months later, she's on Instagram telling the world about Jesus and this incredible fruit is just coming, like so many people coming to Christ through her and I felt so honored to lead her to Jesus, which I did at a party three days later. And she wrote to me in tears and she said, David, I've just been baptized. She said, David, I, I felt such terror when I saw that water. And I was like, oh, when it, no, it's your baptism. Your baptism, fun, you know. Oh, because I knew it meant I was gonna die. It, I knew it meant that like, it, my old life is over. And it was my funeral, David. My baptism was like a funeral. And you know, guys, sometimes we need to have little funerals of grief where we say, I'm letting go of my life again. Not because we're into the dark and the macabre, but because we know on the other side of that is the raising, resurrection, flourishing of Jesus, of that tree, of the dead wood of our lives becoming life, and of our pride being humbled so that we can ascend. So thank you for listening, and I wanna invite us now, Jagu, if you wanna come up, to in, just reflect on this and ask God 
Where am I ascending without first descending? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, David, thank you so much. What should we stand as we, um, as we respond? And I'm going um, to ask David to pray uh, for us. Um, but just as he said there, um, quite a few of us, I'm guessing, uh, will have been uh, challenged by what David has said. Uh, those areas, those places of our lives where we're uh, trying to ascend through our own strength. Um, we're trying to uh, go uh, upwards, um, separate from the Lord, and actually being challenged to hear for David's own experience and what it says in Scripture about needing the fire of God's love in our lives uh, to help us uh, be those who are humble, who are consecrating ourselves again to God, who are willing to, as Jesus said, deny ourselves, take up our cross, so that we might flourish, not through our own strength, but we might flourish through the way of the cross. Uh, someone uh, in our prayer meeting before the service uh, was just reminded of um, the verse uh, that, where Jesus in Revelation 3, uh, he's that famous verse, Revelation 3 verse 20, where Jesus is standing at the door of someone's heart, knocking to be let in. And he's knocking to be led in, not to someone who doesn't know Jesus, but someone who's part of the church, a whole church. And Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. And so I'd love us just to take a moment to be quiet and uh, just to almost uh, say, yeah, I know Jesus has been knocking at the door of my heart this morning. I know there are ways where I've been ignoring him, trying to flourish in my own strength, separate from him. And I know I need to descend. To say, Jesus, I want to flourish as I come to you and through the way of the cross. And so in a moment, we're going to have a final song. But before we do, I'd just love David to pray uh, for us. And I wonder, just as we have our eyes closed, if, uh, if you are here this morning and you say, in whatever way, I know that Jesus is knocking on my heart through what I've been hearing this morning. Uh, Jesus has been challenging me in some way or other. Like, this is the way I need to consecrate myself. This is the way I need to descend uh, to go the way of the cross. This is the way I need to follow Jesus, not just do things on my own strength. Uh, if you've uh, felt Jesus, as it were, knocking on the door of your heart, um, this morning, why not just um, just raise your hand and, and I'm just going to ask David to particularly pray uh, for those people. So let's just have a moment and just raise your hand just where you are if uh, you've known uh, Jesus knocking on your heart this morning. Thank you. The number of hands uh, all, all around the room and I'm just going to ask uh, David just to pray particularly for all of us but particularly uh, for those uh, eight or nine people. Holy God, I just, I pray for your spirit of impartation. Lord, that the knowledge of your cross is something that's imparted. It's not just known in the mind. And thank you, Jesus, for the prophetic paradox of who you are. Yes, Lord, I just pray for that prophetic paradox of the cross to mark this church. 
to mark this place, to mark this community, to mark the disciples in this room, that they are set apart for the final day, that they will be raised to life and righteousness. And Lord, I pray for fruit that remains, God. I pray for the fruit that comes from this descent. Good works that will go through the fire and not pass away, but will remain for eternity. And Lord, I pray for the joy of the cross, the joy of sacrifice to you in love to fill this place. That a culture of worship, even deeper worship, would be born today in hearts. And Lord, I pray for this church to be a place of deep humility where any person in this city could come and be included and loved and walked alongside to the cross, to the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.